0: I'm Jen
1: and I'm Jen welcome to Marginalia pod where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books
0: I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Daruk people traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today and pay my respects to their elders past present and emerging
1: I'd also like to acknowledge Munafenawa of Te awakairanga where I'm recording today hi hello nice to
0: see you is it warm and spring-like where you are
1: it sure is we've had a very springy weekend but I know it's a lie because spring is the worst season in Wellington Mm -hmm. so we must never get complacent basically I visited you last spring and
0: it was lovely weather so maybe I need to come again and make sure that it's nice and sunny for you
1: it stays the same I can't believe that's a year ago Mm. does not feel that long ago
0: I know it was like five minutes right Mm. time goes too quickly slow down
1: agreed agreed like I was seeing photos of your delightful children this morning and I'm like look how tidy they were (laughs) they're almost
0: so I measured them and my daughter is 5 foot 2 and my son is almost 5 feet tall and now that means that my daughter is taller than our friend Bethany
1: Mm, wow
0: yeah I was not prepared for that to happen ever
1: (laughs) wow (laughs) it shot up so quickly I know. Oh. Um, what sparked joy for you this week? Well, last night, some friends and I went to a Taylor Swift era's quiz night, which ah! was delightful. Amazing. I mean, I don't actually know that much about Taylor. Like, I wouldn't describe myself as a Swifty. I like her music, but I don't know that much about her. Um, but one of the, the women we went with, she was very much a Swifty and so knew everything. Oh, wow. and my friend Meredith went and we just had a great time and there was one moment where it was the um I forget what the round was but they played all too well and then they just play a snippet of the song just as like background music and then they move on but then everyone was Mm. singing along to it so everyone just acapella this whole song they did the 10 minute version as well the extended cut not just the normal one and this guy was like Mm. guys we've we've got a lot to get to get through but no everyone was vibing (laughs) That's
0: great. I mean, that's, that It's kind of amazing. It feels, I think it's nice that you get that community with a bunch of people who are into the same thing. That's kind of what makes it work.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a real nice vibe. And especially something like that, because you're there with a group of people like, okay, I didn't know everyone on our team, but I knew three of the six people, four, four people, including myself. Um, so, you know, you know, the people you're with, but you're still in this group situation like there were 19 teams yeah. so it was a big quiz there were a lot of people and it just was a nice buzz it's like always nice to do something like that anyway it was a fun evening we did not even come close to winning but oh, it was a high a change scoring from quiz from your usual
0: quiz yeah <laughs> we never do your well on these
1: awesome. these people usually they also did a Harry Potter quiz a couple of years ago that we went to, and we were middling at best, but it was so hard. They were like, name all the ingredients that go into this potion. I'm like, why would we know this? This is so weird. But some people did, and that is the difference.
0: This is what you need my sister Whitney for. She only read the first four books, but she basically memorized the contents of each chapter of this. <laughs> this took her forever to do this. So if you say, what happened in like the 10th chapter of the third book? She would be able to tell you. I don't know if she still can, but for the longest time she could. And I was like, that is some kind of superpower. And she's like, it takes me too long to read them. And I'm like, yeah, I don't understand why you're putting this much effort into it. But the answer is she would be great at pub quizzes.
1: (laughs) There we go. Missed her calling. (laughs) (laughs) What sparked joy for you this week?
0: Oh, it was a pretty good week. We had the first day of spring and I was wearing sandals because it was the first day of spring and a dress. And I'm not normally Mm. a spring weather person. And I was quite annoyed, actually, but I'm trying to make the best of it. Um. I got to hang out with my dog a bunch and Mm -hmm. I just just felt like a nice week and um, my brother-in-law came by yesterday I had to he he needed a computer that would run a certain version of Excel and if there's one thing my house has it's too many computers so I was like I got one for you boo so it was really nice to just be able to like help someone with very Mm. little
1: effort so that was a good (laughs) feeling
0: it was just kind of a nice week
1: oh I love that that's lovely when you have a good week so
0: yeah, yeah nice. lots of little happy joyful moments well, this week we're reading chapters 56 through 64 through the theme of responsibility, mm. which can be joyful, but it's not always joyful. Um, do you have a story for us in that theme?
1: I do. It's more of a musing than a personal story. I thought a lot about responsibility, and I it's something mm. that I believe in quite strongly individually as something that we should take responsibility for our actions, like when we hurt people, mm-hmm. when we make mistakes, you know, taking responsibility is a big part of my personal, I guess worldview but a lot of people don't and some people just never will you know you engage with some people and they will just never take responsibility and that's just who they are they just don't see it that way Mm -hmm. but then i was thinking about this link between personal responsibility and its role in collective action because i was talking to a friend of mine Mm. about climate change right and this is an area where it comes up quite a bit and it also made me think like in new zealand does this thing when you land if you fly in New Zealand and you land in New Zealand, they run this video that's all about taking responsibility of your actions while you're in the country. And it's based on the yeah. Te Māori concept of kaitiakitanga. So kaitiakitanga is basically just guardianship or protection. It's a way of managing the environment specifically based on the Māori worldview. A kaitiaki is a guardian. So it can be a group or a person that cares for an area like a lake or a forest. And they're given that role usually by a local iwi. So there's traditional practices that inform this, like the local iwi would make sure that you protect the area by like only planting certain things at certain times, only hunting certain things at certain times, only taking what is needed, hunting only for food, not for sport, you know, not using bird snares when it's nesting times or breeding times, you know, stuff like that. These, These traditional practices that helped you care for the land and made sure that there was time to recover. And if the land needed recovering, they would put a rahui on it, which means that it's now, you're not allowed to do certain things. You have to protect mm. the place until it's ready for right. you to go ahead and do those things again. So there's like a growing interest in this kaitiakitanga concept today with iwi restoring environment and culture and using these ideas in like the modern world. And it's being incorporated into laws as well. And that made me think about climate action and what we owe ourselves and the environment. Because I think mm. a lot of th- a lot of personal responsibility is put on people to take ownership of climate change, right? We are told that you yeah. shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you know. Having pets is bad for the environment. Driving to work is bad for the environment. Using um, non-renewable things is bad for the environment. Take away coffee cups, plastic straws, plastic bags, all these little things. That is individual responsibility. And also, you know, being vegetarian, being vegan. All these decisions that we make as individuals that inform what is viewed as bad for the environment. And it's interesting because there are very few things in the world where this much weight is put onto the individual to control it. And at the end of the day, a lot of the things that need to happen is beyond individual control. Now, I'm not saying that making these decisions isn't worthwhile i think we owe our responsibility in this situation is to evaluate the decisions we make like personal sacrifice alone will not be the solution to the climate tra- crisis but we owe it to ourselves to make decisions like i'm not saying don't fly but mm. if you're flying to a conference do you really need to fly to that conference can you attend it remotely are you going to get anything else out of that or are you just going because it's a bit of a fun trip mm-hmm We need to be conscious of the decisions we make, the responsibility we take for these actions, because they do have large ramifications, but we can't wear that all ourselves. I don't think it's fair to put that on the individual when what we need is a collective action at a corporate level to change these things, to make the change that we need to actually fix the issue. Because people deciding to use paper straws is not going to stop BP spilling oil in the gulf right you know these things for a plastic
0: straw these days honestly
1: (laughs) i know that's a nightmare isn't it but i feel like we it's just one of these things where it feels like it's a nice little distraction to tell people that they're individually responsible for it because it keeps us too busy and too paralyzed because it's so much pressure it really paralyzes people to to take this individual action and then so they, they feel like they can't do it because it's such a small drop in the ocean i'm just one person what does it matter if i do it you know
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah when we need a collectivism in that, you know, personal responsibility combined as a unit to force that change at a, at a higher level. And then, yeah, sometimes it just feels like busy work that doesn't really, you know, achieve much. So yeah, I guess what I wanted to focus on there in terms of responsibility is like, yes, we've got a responsibility as individuals. But I think we also have a responsibility as a unit, as a a collective. Yeah. To not just accept these things and take it as rote as well like we can't just sit back and go well okay I'm just gonna not use plastic (laughs) I'm not gonna use a plastic straw because that's gonna save the turtles when there are other things you can do beyond that you know and don't just do this one step when it's a bigger conversation that needs to be had and don't be overwhelmed as well like I think people get put off especially by things like veganism or not eating meat whatever that looks like people get really defensive in that space as well For whatever reason, there are very many reasons why people feel they can't take the action that they can. Maybe they don't have access to resources. Maybe they can't take the bus to work because there's no bus route where they live. You don't know what people's individual circumstances look like. So it's unhelpful to be judgy about that, which again is why I think like grouping together and doing something as a larger movement is more useful than trying to put that on the individual. And I just don't think individualism works as a general rule. Like I just don't think telling people that you know, you alone can do this thing and you have to take responsibility for your own actions. And yes, of course you do, but we don't live in a vacuum. You have impacts on other people and other people impact you. And so there's a wider conversation to be had there. So I think just don't get, I just wanna be mindful of not getting lost in the individual nature of responsibility because I think it's unhelpful to a bigger conversation.
0: That's a really good point. It reminds me of this quote that I have in my phone, in my notes app, which I keep. Uh. like It's like my pinned note. And the quote is, It is not your duty to finish the work, but neither are you at liberty to neglect it. And that is attributed to Rabbi Tarfon. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I will say that I think about that quote a lot. And I think that mm-hmm. that really ties in with the idea of responsibility. Like, what responsibility do we have? What do we owe to the world? And what do we owe to each other? And it really does come down to do the best you can with what you have and also forgive yourself because like you say us not using plastic straws is not going to actually reduce the amount of plastic in the oceans more than a negligible amount because most of the plastic in the oceans is like fishing nets you know yeah so there's just the facts are not on our side but like it does help like it might help one albatross but that is still one albatross that doesn't have a plastic straw in its stomach right so even these little things have an impact and yeah maybe we can't do all the work, but we should still be doing some of it.
1: Yeah. And I, I think we kind of see that with Penny in a way in how she approached Ship in this whole book, right? Yeah. This idea that she she picked him up, so she's responsible yeah. for him, right? And it's just one thing, <laughs> but
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought there was a lot of interesting, um a lot of interesting responsibilities in this in this section. Should I read our chapter summaries? Yeah,
1: go on, please.
0: All right. Simon and Baz go to Ikea, and then they go to another Chosen One meeting with Smith-Smith-Richards. Baz figures out how he knows the girl from the last meeting. She's Agatha's old roommate, Philippa, who lost her voice in fifth year. Correction, Baz stole her voice by accident while trying to steal Simon's voice at his aunt Fiona's request. Baz decides to fix it and marches over to Fiona's flat, interrupting her and Nicodemus Petty. Meanwhile, Penny summons Shepherd's Demon and undoes the curse with some nifty legal wrangling. Well done, Penny. They all Mm -hmm. reconvene back at Simon's flat in Hackney Wick. We get some beautifully tender moments between Baz and Simon. Simon and Penny make up. Fiona comes around the next day to return the tape recorder, and Simon admits that Smith Richards tried the spell on him, and nothing happened. And now he seems to be immune to magic.
1: Yeah, so much going on in this section. Good lord.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the first and biggest responsibility that I notice is Baz's immediate cottoning on to the fact that he has to fix Philippa's voice. Mm this is he's like I need to take responsibility for this because this is my fault and so I would just love to really dive into that because I feel like that's the first thing we get and then it's like the entire section is focused on getting the tape recorder back and other stuff happens but like his he can't sleep he can't think about it because it is so big
1: yeah I love that he says on page 411 you know I can't breathe under it I don't know how to carry it he's just so overwhelmed by this Mm. thing that he did and he feels so horrible that he's so willing to take that responsibility and face whatever consequences come from it. Like, he's not going to try and defend himself or argue against it. Yeah, He's just wearing it. And it ties into how he feels about the vampires as well. This responsibility he feels mm. for what they did in America. He doesn't know what he's responsible for. I found it was so interesting on page 411. He says, you know, Simon doesn't feel guilty about it. He's killed too many things to wear every soul around his neck like a stone. Penelope doesn't feel guilty. She'd raise all of Las Vegas if she had a chance. I don't know what I feel. I don't know what I'm responsible for in America.
0: Yeah, he actually says the word. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and I think it's so interesting because Simon and Penny have been fighting for so long, and they've been in this battle for so long. Whereas Baz sort of was, but more on the periphery. He wasn't. He wasn't out there killing things or fighting on the front lines, and so yeah. he is still in a conflicted space like I don't know how Simon felt the first time he killed something or how Penny felt the first time she was complicit and she admits her complicity in this right I think it's so telling when Baz is spiralling about this and she's like yeah we were all used by adults who you know for want of a better word were responsible for them and let them down like Fiona really she's the one who wears the responsibility yes Baz did the thing but she he trusted Fiona
0: Yeah, I mean, he takes responsibility for actually going through with it, but he calls her out on that on page 398. You know, he was, he's like, he was 15 and, and she shoots back with, and the mage is already using him against us. And he's like, but Mm. I was 15 too. I wasn't at war. I was at school. Like he's Mm. telling her, like you had this responsibility to be the adult and you broke that trust by turning me into a weapon by using me for your own ends. Yeah. Yeah, when he says,
1: I was a child and you used Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I thought that was a strong parallel between Fiona and the mage. Like, Fiona claims to hate the mage so much, but she used Baz in exactly the same way that the mage used Simon. They turned them into Mm. weapons, and she's unrepentant. She's like, it worked. It was children who brought down the mage. And Baz is like, it was Simon, and it wouldn't have happened if this plan of yours had worked, right?
0: How great is that, that Baz is able to see so clearly how this one mistake saved the world of mages, but also cost someone their magic. Like he's, he's got this fantastic clarity now. And I, I think just because when you're at school and someone's not at school anymore, you don't really think about them. He was able to sort of be like, oh, that's terrible, but it's gone. It's out of my mind. And now that he's actually seen her again, that's when the responsibility, the weight of it comes back.
1: I feel also like he was let down there by adults who assured him that, oh, don't yeah. worry, her magic, her voice will come back. Her magic will be fine. Like he didn't know the depth of consequence right yeah yeah so grim I really feel for him I I just love that revelation as well when he's like oh I wonder where Agatha's old roommate is and he's like wait what it's like a real record scratch moment yeah
0: and I love that he was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it like where do I know her from she looks awfully familiar and it just sort of churning around in the back of his head it's because it was important he needed to remember it yeah but there's something about growth, growing up and being responsible that, you know, they did trust these adults. And, and you're right that Penny sort of puts it into perspective on page 411. She says, you did something unconscionable because an adult you trusted said it would matter. Join the club. And that just really is the core of it, right? That's just this series is all of these people growing up and realizing that the adults that they trusted did not have their best interests at heart and often led them down the garden path in a bad way.
1: Yeah, and we see that being replicated by Smith-Smith Richards at a wider level, like he's doing it with Simon, because Simon is so desperate to believe, because I think he feels so Mm. responsible for the world of mages, he feels so responsible for saving everyone to this Mm -hmm. day, despite the fact that he doesn't have magic, he still wants to save everyone. And I think he he wants having a new chosen one, like he wants a new chosen one because it sort of absolves him of that responsibility, he can be like, Mm. ah, there's no longer my problem, you know, but he still feels responsible. And I just think he Smith Richard is really just preying on this because he feels responsible for sharing this gift he has that he's told himself he has. But he's only doing it because he wants to fulfill an expectation of what he has for the world of mages. Like the world of mages is not living up to what he expects it to be, so that's why Uh he's doing this, and that is mixed up.
0: Yeah, and he also expects something for it, like this. The difference between them is very clear. Simon was literally saving the world of mages, and that was always what he thought he had to do. Like, his responsibility is to do the right thing, and he still believes that. Like, first and foremost, he wants to do the right thing. But Smith Richards doesn't have that same urge. He doesn't mm-hmm. have the same desire. It's a, a very personal power that he's after, and there's a real difference, and that's why I think, you know, whether or not the text endorses this. I think that Simon was the chosen one because, mainly because, he couldn't be corrupted in that way. Yeah, Whereas everyone else is fallible.
1: I agree. I think the text gives us enough opportunity to see that Simon was the chosen one. I think Simon's Mm. problem is that everything, he has a confirmation bias. So everything that happens, he's just like, oh, well, see, I'm not not magic. I'm just a normal. I'm just a normal. Everything that happens to him, he uses that to confirm this already existing belief that he has. That doesn't make it true. It doesn't mean it's accurate. And, like, I think this whole immunity to magic thing is just because he's a battery and he needs to be topped up. He's, like, completely drained. So they just need to keep casting on him, and eventually he'll have a little bit more, like this little bubble that popped, which is from all the spells being cast on him over the last however long. That's my personal headcanon.
0: Oh, I love that. I think it would be very sad if he never had any ability to have magic again. I feel like someday... Well, I mean, he's been cursed now, right? So that's just done. But maybe if they find a way to undo the curse for everyone else, then maybe someday he could get the ability back. Yeah. I think he's got it. I think it's part of him. I think it's inside of him. But I think giving it all away has kind of shut that door. He doesn't have it on tap. He doesn't have it voluntarily anymore. But yeah.
1: And also I think because like Smith Richards says, intent matters and expectation in that sense matters. If you expect to not cast, if you expect not to have magic, then I think magic won't work for you. There's a a matter of belief in this, which I love about magic in general. Like, if you don't believe in the supernatural, then the supernatural doesn't exist, you know? But if you believe, who knows?
0: Then it's there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so true with a lot of things, right? Like, I've had very lucky misses or something and someone goes, well, that was a miracle. And I just think, well, no, it was just how the world was going. I don't really view it as a miracle, but they're intently sure it was a miracle. Like, well, I mean, things just happen. (laughs) The world is chaos and random, but to them it was a miracle. Yeah, it just depends on your worldview. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I want to talk about Simon accepting the mission of gentleness because this is such a beautiful moment. Oh, oh. He really takes the responsibility for being gentle. And I think this is really important. He ends up not really being able to let himself go, but that kind of works out. Like he can't let himself get lost because he's on a mission. And I want to talk about how I think that that is more evidence that he is not neurotypical <laughs> because I know mm-hmm. about having the brain that will not stop you when you're in the middle of really encompassing experiences. And I love that he's able to like channel that. And he takes that and he needs something to do. He needs a responsibility. But once he was able to do that, he was able to like fully focus and be into it, which I'm just really here for.
1: I really love how they set expectations for behavior with each other. Like they're in a comfortable enough Mm. space, I think, which you can see by the fact that Baz leaving doesn't set Simon off into a spiral. And they're able to like be apart and then come together and trust each other. Like when Baz says, I don't want to talk about it now, Simon can accept that. That is all part of their growth. Like, start of the Mm -hmm. book, Simon and Baz could not do this, right? Um, But yeah, yeah, the expectation that they set around, you know, how they want to engage with each other. Like Simon says, you know, I'm gentle, he isn't. Because that's the, the line. And he's like, I don't want him to beg. He never has to beg. And, you know, he's very clear in what they want and expect of each other. And I think it's just, it's a beautiful growth moment for both of them. And The responsibility they feel for each other. Because I think Baz feels very responsible for Simon and managing his emotions.
0: Yeah, he's really worried about his not breakdown.
1: Yeah, like, what do I need to do to deal with it? Simon is never okay. Like, what kind of not okay is he? And Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even in Ikea, like, when Simon is so overwhelmed, he... You know, props to Simon for being a responsible adult and going out there and buying things. And he's like, oh gosh, this is... This is going to take all day. And he's getting overwhelmed. And Baz is like, hey, that's fine. We can come back. Like taking that kind of responsibility and helping each other. And I mean, like, it's a big, big responsibility helping someone pick out furniture, Baz. Good job. 10 out of 10.
0: I thought it was nice that Simon wanted him to have input on the sheets. Like, it's like, no, this isn't just for me. We're sharing this bed. Like, that was a really lovely moment. I don't know if it was responsibility or expectation. Like, well, you're going to be there, so you should have a say, which I think is really beautiful. Like, that's what adulthood is. It's consulting your buddy whoever you live with, the people that are in your life, whatever relationships you have, it's like figuring out how to make that work for everyone.
1: Yeah, and I think that way, you know, Simon also feels responsible for making sure that Baz knows that he is loved and cared for and that he can be there for them in that way. Like, he doesn't want Baz to feel like he's taking him for granted. I think it's just, you really see it through their actions towards each other, and it's just
0: lovely. They're so tender and beautiful toward each other, and I did laugh. I laugh every time, but the bit where... He goes, "You're not having a breakdown," and Simon goes, "Well, I could. I, I think there's still time. I could have one it's if you want." It's not too late. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's he's kind of half joking, half serious at that moment. I love Wes. it. It's great. I love that he's able to make a joke about it. Like he's literally joking about it. And two weeks ago, he was just too mortified to be able to do anything but like wallow or avoid.
1: Yeah, which just goes to show, I think, the power of like something we both complain about all the time is like the mortifying ordeal of being known, right? Like that yes. vulnerability. But this is the this is what you get. This is the other side of it. Like once you push through that, you get to have the bit where you can laugh about it and where you can just be cool about it yeah. and chill about it because it doesn't send you spiraling. But if you hold back and you're not willing to have that vulnerability and you just want to keep people at arm's length, you're always in that fight or flight mode at the start. Yeah. You never reach this comfort, this easy, loving side of it.
0: Yeah. I have a lot of feelings about it. I also love that Bass doesn't really feel like he lived up to the expectations or that he was doing something wrong. Like there was something really interesting there where he was like, I don't think this is how it should have gone. And Simon's like, did you have a good time? Are you happy? Was it good? Like, then it was fine. I love that Simon was the one
1: who was so confident. I love that Simon takes, that he takes the responsibility and he's like, no, I'm going to look after you. You know, like, after this thing, I'm going to just, like, look after you. This intense emotional experience. And, like, there is a lot of expectation that comes with that sort of thing. So... Yeah, a first time is a
0: big deal. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The the things that you internalize, that you think, like, the dumb Mm -hmm. things kids say to you. Like, all these things, right? So, yeah. Bless.
0: I know. It's just, it's really lovely and really tender. And I have to say, I enjoy reading a love scene that's a real and tender moment. Because, look, I read a lot of romance, and often it's, like page after page of socks being blown right off your feet. You know, like, just sometimes you just want it to be, like, nice and normal and there's a fumble and a bit of uncertainty but it's still good because you're with someone you love. Like, that is what life is. Yeah, agreed. It's nice to see that in fiction.
1: Yeah. I think... I want to actually talk about, just off the back of this, about Fiona. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Let's talk about Fiona. Because
1: Fiona fails to take responsibility or actually even care about what happened. Like, Baz mm-hmm. is obviously in a state and she just doesn't even care. She doesn't even see it. And her first response is to go, oh, she's not one of ours, is it? And Baz just loses yes. his mind because for him that is yes. besides the point. Like, that does not absolve him of a responsibility. But Absolutely. Fiona has this real thing in her head, right? But I think when she comes to see him and she sits him down and she talks about her relationship with Natasha, you really get a sense of the responsibility she felt that she had to pick up this mantle and look after Baz. But the weight of expectation as well of not living up to the perfect sibling or what others Mm -hmm. expect of you. And it's hard not to mess up when you're already the messed up one. Like when everyone already expects that of you, it's hard not to just go with it, you know? And I think living up to expectations is a difficult thing. So I kind of feel... Like I think she's made terrible decisions and she did wrong by Baz on so many levels but I sort of feel a lot of empathy for her because losing her sister like that is obviously very difficult.
0: For sure. I think about it like she was always going to be herself and she was always going to approach everything in her own way but that didn't necessarily mean that the ideals that she had or the methods she used to uphold those ideals were actually in line with what Baz needed or with what the family would have wanted and she's reconciling that now, but I think it's really difficult for her to to say, Well, I can't do it the way that my sister would have done it. So I'm not even gonna try. Like she's sort of given up on trying to do it that yeah. way. But she still feels like responsible. So she's had to reframe, in my opinion, she's had to reframe what it means to be a pitch in order to like give Baz this sort of, I don't know, squashed and wrong version that sort of Mm. fits in better with how she can live
1: yeah and I think Baz is really reframing what that means like his expectations of what it is to be a pitch right and I think it's great because he's like you know Fiona doesn't get to tell me what it means to be a pitch I don't think I care anymore and that is Mm. such a big thing for him to kind of move on with his life as well to let go of this expectation of what it means
0: yeah it's huge but he's not cutting Fiona out he's not saying like we're done you can't tell he's just not going to let her make those decisions of what is right and what's wrong anymore and that's part of growing up right is realizing that your your parents or your carers have like they've done their best but like then you grow up and you realize that the world is far more nuanced than that they're actually people and they have fallible views and oh my gosh you have to figure out what you believe in and who you are yeah that's about where he is now i think
1: um, I kind of love Penny feeling so responsible for Baz and Simon. And even Chip, she's like, I'm never leaving these people alone again. They're never <laughs> leaving my sight. I leave <laughs> you alone for one week. Oh,
0: it's so cute. Can we talk a little bit about the demon summoning? Because this is one of my favorite things. I love that she's just like ready to go. She's got the the portal to hell on the floor. And uh, he's like, I thought you said not to do this in your own home. And she's like, this is a rental. Get started. Like, she's just so funny. There are no rules of Penny because she makes them up as she goes along. Which really bothers Shep. Because what did he say to... um, When Baz paid for the pizza, he's like, oh, thank goodness. She's been full Butch Cassidy this week.
1: I love that he's like, I'm not getting in a cab unless I see some cash. Like this, We're not doing...
0: I love this because I feel like Penny has always needed someone to show her how to be... Uh, like show her the right thing to do right so like she's incredibly clever and she'll just circumvent the rules and simon is the one who is always pulling her up in the first book we saw that he was like you can't say that that's borderline species like he's very good about like that is right that is wrong you are not doing that and she needs someone to check her because otherwise she is just true neutral in a way
1: mm. Mm-hmm,
0: um, mm-hmm. So I love that in this, you know, Shep's kind of like, okay, I, I'll i stay back, I won't do it. He does actually stay back and not do anything, and Penny's able to, like, use her intellect to get him out of this. And basically, it's just by saying all of the true things about Shep, that, like, he's got all of these debts, like, his name, and firstborn, and thirdborn, and...
1: I love the expectation she has going into that as well, like, the yeah. expectation that, yeah, of course the demon will honour the contract. They're very, like, contract-driven mm. individuals. Sorry, yeah, and she's just like, yeah there's an expectation that when there's a contract that parties will adhere to the contract, but also like the demon should take responsibility for not doing their due diligence. Like, this is just the thing you're signing a contract. Do the, it's like when you buy a house, I don't get to complain about things that are wrong with the house now, because I had the opportunity to look for the due diligence. Right. So I kind of love that. I love that, that you have this creature that is so intense and so otherworldly and like, Voice feels like gravity, and a ceramic bowl turns to dust when they talk, and so much weight and power, and it's just
0: a bear, a woman, a hole, a bear, a woman, a hole. You're not gonna do it
1: because it says here that you you would null and void it.
0: (laughs) Yep, and I love that Penny does this thing where she's like, "I'm not your advocate." But I would say this guy is coming at you with a lot of debt. And if you are actually betrothed, you're going to have to assume it. And then the demon's like, "Your firstborn, Shep. Really? <laughs> Everybody's really upset about this firstborn thing.
1: And also the fact that he's made this contract with like other creatures. So, you mm. know, with near immortal lifespans. So, yeah. too bad.
0: It looks like Penny's going to go on a killing spree in America at some point. I'm just saying. <laughs> she's already told him she's going to slay his friend, Ken i don't doubt that she will those imps are in for it too it's it's gonna be a bloodbath
1: (laughs) i love that for her
0: (laughs) (laughs) i kind of do too oh my gosh
1: so great
0: it's so great i i really love that when at the end when they're like debriefing he's like you did it you broke the contract and she just goes it was never valid it reminds me of elwood's the rules of hair care are finite and simple any cosmo girl would have known (laughs) like a real Elvis It was never valid.
1: Yeah, totally. I also love how you know, Baz is horrified that she's done this thing and the the line is like, he uses the same tone on me that he's used on Simon for the last 10 minutes. (laughs) She's just like, I'm surrounded by crazy people. I also love how she is outraged that Simon let Smith-Smith Richards cast an experimental spell on him. When she does that all the
0: time. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing in my book. I'm like, anyone except Penny, it's not allowed.
1: That's the expectation she has.
0: So funny. Mm. I also love that she just expects that once she's done with this whole demon thing, she can just go find Simon and it'll be fine. Yeah. She's just like, yeah, I can find him. No no problem. No big deal.
1: Yeah, and I love that subversion of the the whole, you know, it's almost impossible to hide from someone who loves you, too. That it's almost impossible to hide from someone you love. And then Fiona being like, of course I found you. You think you can hide from me? I just love this whole idea that Mm. the people you care about are always going to find you
0: because when you're known they can find you i also love that they're friends now too i think that that's something we've been waiting this whole book for them to patch up their friendship
1: so (sighs) glad that that happened yeah and that description of simon soaking her up like she's sunshine is just lovely
0: it is it's really beautiful
1: uh i just want to say the world of mages the expectations i've spoken about this ad nauseum, but it just really messes people up how they're expected to behave in this world like baz makes that comment about oh i thought they were just normal level magic users not low level magic users but this is the problem because it's this world that's been created that where no amount of magic is ever going to be enough right it's like no money is ever going to be enough right yeah
0: yeah and because simon had so much of it for so long i think everyone's idea of what magic they should have definitely got adjusted because his Mm. was just overwhelmingly large. Like, it was just more than it could have or should have been.
1: It opens the door for exploitation. Like, we see with Smith Mm. Richards, he just comes in and he's like, you deserve this and you should have this and blah, blah, blah. And Baz is like, it's not that he's wrong about it, but it's just... (laughs) It's not okay. And he just wants to turn everyone into, like, little gospel disciples for him to go off and spread the good word when he knows. Like, we know that he's got Jamie basically imprisoned, right? Or does he know? I Uh forget.
0: He knows. They don't know yet.
1: That's another expectation I thought was subverted. Yeah. Because, like, they go there expecting to see Jamie and he uses this Thing about, no, 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 because he doesn't like being mobbed. He's
0: an introvert.
1: So it's almost like the excuse for him not being there is that yeah. the expectation of behavior from others, like they will swarm him or whatever. Anyway, it's just interesting.
0: It is really interesting. I would like to remind people to look up the bite model for cults and behavior control i will link it in the show notes i feel like it's really important if you're worried that someone is in something's li- like kind of culty this is a really good way to like it just really delineates so it says behavior control information control thought control and emotional control there's like a handout a link to a pdf so you can actually like look at all the things and um it's really really shocking when you look at how much of that is just in like daily life hmm and it's like the more points you score, the closer to a cult you are. But it's it just leaves a lot more room for nuance. So I feel like Smith Richards is on his way to forming a nice cult. Oh, yeah. It's not great. It's not a great look for him. He should not
1: be uh, no. doing this, I think. No, I agree. I agree. He is dodgy. So dodgy. I just want to say it's weird to me. Like, it's interesting how many expectations there are around the Watford Chapel and Watford in general. The weight that holds on this audience when he's like, we're going to have it at the Watford Chapel. And then Daphne's like, I got married there.
0: Don't you think that's weird? And Simon's like, I'm not going to tell her I killed the mage there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but set that aside, like, that is where Natasha is buried as well. I just don't know if I was Daphne where I'd be like, "Mm, maybe some distance wouldn't go astray here.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I maybe it's because it's like their one building, their one thing. Like they don't have other churches, they don't have other magical spaces, government mm. buildings. Yeah, it really does all come out of the one. So like they have to use it all for one thing.
1: It's an interesting approach from the world of mages, where they're just so attached to this one building, as you say, that is their one place. But it doesn't have to be their one place. There we can. There's an ogre bar. Other magical creatures have made spaces for themselves. Mm. The the world of mages could yeah. be less insular than it is they could have gotten married at the pitch estate why not you know
0: yeah what if it's like um what if it's like an allegory for the royal family and whatever that one church they use for everything they're all buried there they'll yeah yeah, they're all buried there they're all married there maybe that's what it is it's like this is our one place Mm -hmm. it does have sort of a royal family vibe to it the world of mages it does yeah a little bit
1: yeah Mm.
0: yeah really good catch on that
1: I love that everyone expects Simon to just freak out and never be okay. (laughs) Like when (laughs) Penny says to Baz, you know, you are freaking out, like you're not okay, and you're going to tell me why as soon as we have Simon sorted, page 403. And he's like, so that's never then. (laughs) It's just this expectation (laughs) that Simon's always going to be a mess. And he says on page 423, is Simon okay? I mean, obviously, no, never. But
0: like what brand of not okay is he? Yeah, that's. That's a really, that's such a funny thing. We're never all all okay all of the time.
1: No. And I have
0: to remind myself of this a lot. Like, it's okay that things are better and worse. That's a normal trajectory of life. Mm. Sometimes it's exhausting, but, like, it's normal for things to be better and worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's all I had for expectation and, and responsibility.
1: Same. Did you have Tangential?
0: I do. I love that the demon, as soon as the demon is out of the relationship, the engagement with With ship immediately starts hitting on Penny. (laughs) You are very clever and brave and I like your knees. This girl's knees. They're so good, apparently. That made me laugh. And I also love that Penny has decided that um, both Agatha and Baz are only three quarters worth of a friend, but also kind of tracks because neither of them are like, we have to hang out. She's always like chasing them. So that Mm. makes sense to me Mm. that she would be like, well, you're mostly friends with me, but like, I do have to do all the work. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any tangential?
1: I thought Baz was super cute in this section when he's saying, you no, know, he's remembering going to Ikea with Simon, and Simon's like, if you can't be gay in Ikea, where can you? Good point. And he's like, was this the best day of my life? I'm nearly certain. Like, just bless. And then he says, you know, when he's watching Smith Richards on stage, and he comes up with his like weird outfit, and he says, it suits him, Loath as I am to admit it. It would suit Simon better. Like, he is just in Simon's corner so much, and I just love it.
0: When he's talking about his dad, Mm. Getting Vera back, and he's like, It's really important that I stay in Hackney Wick and eat toast on Simon Snow's <laughs> bed. Like, he's he knows he has a responsibility to help his family, so he's glad that someone else is doing that so that he could focus on what he wants to do. Yeah, be there, which and he's like, That is very good.
1: He cracks me up with Vera as well, page 375. Maybe he can offer Vera an enormous raise, maybe he can marry her. <laughs> like, he's just he thinks he, you know, how much trouble is his dad in? Because Daphne just ecstatic about this Smith Richard thing. Yeah, I love so that funny. he puts on his three piece suit, and Simon's just like, "Why did he bring a three piece suit to my house? What did he envision was going to happen?" I just, he's just be ba- bez bears be bezing Simon. That's just what he does. Yeah,
0: I mean, to be fair, when he put that suit on at the very end, it was because he had been wearing Agatha's netball shirt, <laughs> yeah. and pajama bottoms, <laughs> like out in the world. I would have had a heart attack.
1: It just shows you how out of it he is, because Baz would never leave the house like that, but he is just in such a state over this Philippa thing that he can't even think, you know? Yeah.
0: A um, little possum.
1: I will say it cracked me up as well, page 429, when he says, are we really having tea or do you need me for crime? I can't be your getaway driver if you don't let me sit up front. <laughs> like
0: She deserved that yeah my last tangential i think i'll say one thing i agree with fiona at the end on page 434 she said we've got to make decisions for the living you know mm. and that's in reference to her marrying nicodemus which i don't care who she marries i love that she's just decided she's going to
1: do it which is actually my in-depth haha perfect segue yeah lead us in so yeah my in-depth marginalia is that bit you just mentioned on page 434 so it's when Baz has found out that Fiona is marrying Nico, and he's sort of having a last ditch attempt at trying to dissuade her which I think is kind of half-hearted on his point, his behalf anyway, but he's like, you know, I don't think my mother would approve and she says, I'm Mm -hmm. sure she wouldn't but she isn't here, Baz. My mum and dad are gone too and I can't. We've got to make decisions for the living, you know? So I think it ties into expectations because there's a lot of expectations that drive the way we live our lives. Like, what is it that we live up to? Fiona's just had this big spiel about how she didn't feel like she could ever live up to Natasha's giant shadow, you know, that she cast over life. And there's a responsibility element here because we have to choose what we carry in life with us. We have to choose what we take on board and what we don't and what we value and what we don't and how we frame our lives. And I think in a way, Fiona's response to this has been to be, careless with the people she loves and the things she loves because she doesn't want to engage with that like she doesn't want to engage with what it actually means and so she's had this real kind of devil may care attitude which I don't think necessarily Mm -hmm. reflects how she feels inside I think it is a protection mechanism so what it reminded me of is actually my own journey through therapy and like specifically my tattoos so my mum in particular has always been very very anti-tattoo she's always been that way she's very very uninterested in them very my mom's not judgmental like she's always said to me you know I don't care what you do I'll always love you I just you know wouldn't approve (laughs) classic (laughs) um and I would used to when I was younger I'd watch like Miami Ink with her and be like what if I got a tattoo like this Would that would you still not like it and she'd be like no because I've always loved tattoos and it wasn't until I went to therapy and I was dealing with my PTSD and all these things and a big part of the things that I was unpacking was my people pleasing and the way that I was trying to live my life to be a version of myself for other people. And I felt like I wasn't true to myself. I felt like I was betraying myself. And one of the things that I decided to do was to go and get a tattoo. My first tattoo. I'm like, I'm just going to do it because I can't live my life based on the expectations that other people have for me. Like I'm the one who has to embody my life. I'm the one who has to embody my body Mm. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is how I feel. That's who I have to be true to. It's not about whether other people are disappointed in me or not. It's how I feel about myself. Like, am I disappointed in myself? And I remember when I got my first tattoo, it felt so liberating. I felt so free and so much more myself just through the act of doing this one thing for myself. And every tattoo I've gotten since, every time I just feel more and more Like the person I'm supposed to be. Because it's like this act of self-love in a way. It's this way where I can go, this is me honoring who I am and who I want to be. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. And I think we live our lives like that a lot, even unconsciously. I've I've spoken to friends about Mm. this. We talk about it a lot in terms of careers. Because we're like, we don't even want careers. But when you get on the ladder, you start to just go through the motions. You're like, okay, well, you do this, you do this, you move up, you move up, you move up. You go to university, you get a job, you buy a house. Or you... Go to university, you get a job, you find a husband, you get married, you have children, you buy a house. Like These are the steps that we are expected to take. This is what the societal yeah. expectations are. Loads of people do it without ever thinking about it, without ever stopping. They just go through the motions. And I think you can tell. I think you can sometimes you meet people and you're like, they are not happy people. They've never stopped to interrogate whether the life they have is the life that they want. Whether yeah. they really wanted kids, whether they wanted to get married, whether they wanted to buy a house, whether they wanted to any of these, these things. And I think going forward, I just want to really stress to people that you have to live a life that you are proud of to yourself. Like you have to be authentic to yourself. You're the only person that you really have to look in the mirror at the end of the day. And like, I always think about the Casper to Kyle thing about how he goes around thinking that I could die today, right? And if I look in the mirror and if this is my last day on earth, am I happy with the life that I leave behind? Yes, I am. And that's really all I can do. And just really be conscious of the choices that you make, that they are the choices that you're making for you and not for anyone else, because happiness is not pleasing other people.
0: I love that. I know exactly what you mean about tattoos, though. That's how I feel when I make my hair blue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I've always meant to have this color of hair, and it's just really frustrating that my hair comes out of my head brown instead. But you can take the action
1: to do it so
0: I can't yeah. I always feel so much more myself when my hair is a bright vibrant blue Aww. it's like yes this is what it should have been thank you yeah. <laughs> such a good feeling it's really interesting how our identities are so tied up in our appearances but in ways that are very subversive I think that's really interesting about us just personally mm,
1: we're <laughs> such interesting people
0: <laughs> we are we're the best and we're really pretty
1: what's your in-depth marginalia
0: so mine is on page 442 And it is where Baz is confessing that this awful thing he did where he stole Philippa's voice. And he's like, I'm going to go and give it back. And and she can spell me to oblivion. And they're like, well, that's ridiculous. We're not letting her spell you at all. We're going with you. And he's really having trouble. He's trying to really impress upon them that this thing he did was terrible. So on page 442, I tried to take your magic snow, your voice. It was supposed to be you. And this is from Simon's perspective. This is the confession I have always wanted from him, and now I have it. And now that I have it, I just want to tell him that it doesn't matter. I lived. I lost my magic anyway. But at least now I have him. I know it wasn't a direct trade-off, but I still feel like I got the better end of the deal. I touch Mm. his cheek. I forgive you. He just barely shakes his head. How could you, Snow? I just do. Mm. So this one really gets me because Baz is taking responsibility for the things he did, but he doesn't feel like he can actually be absolved without some sort of punishment. So he doesn't feel like he's been held responsible until somebody has like made him atone, right? His expectation is that something has to be given up in order for him to experience it like for for it to be justice. He was trying to hurt Simon and Simon has just passed it and there's no action that can undo it or fix it. It just is. The expectation that Baz should be punished for trying to hurt someone he loved for almost messing up the saving of the world of mages is something that he will just have to reckon with because there's it's not coming. No one's going to be mad at him for this particular action against Simon, right? Mm -hmm. And there's there's something about that, that he has to just live with that. That's also there when Penny's mom, a few sections ago, kind of offhandedly mentions that she's aware that Penny has been up to stuff, but she's not going to deal with it. And the thing that I really came to realize is that the adults who had charged these children with these responsibilities are now absolving themselves of holding these children responsible, right? These kids, you know, Simon and Baz and Penny, they have to grow up and become responsible they no longer get to tell an adult and have an adult like put them in time out you know and that's the the thing about that's the the thing a thing about adulthood that i think is really confronting for people because you think like oh when i'm a grown-up i'm gonna stay up late and eat ice cream for dinner blah 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 you know like you have dumb ideas when you're a kid but as you become an adult you realize it's actually taking responsibility for the things you've done even the things that you were that you did when you were guided by other people and sometimes that means that you have to live with the fact that you hurt someone that you care about in even when they forgive you. Mm. So that said, I want to say that one of the best lessons of my life is that forgiveness is not reconciliation. So you can forgive people who have hurt you and not want to be reconciled with them. You can forgive them and realize that they are never going to change, that they will continue to hurt you and that you can, and you can set a boundary And that is okay. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. I'm going to say this till I'm blue in the face to everybody who needs to hear it. But if the relationship isn't broken, a part of taking responsibility is committing to change your behavior. So do not repeat that behavior and do not place the blame elsewhere. That's the part of apologizing that we skip over a lot. Hmm. Um, So it needs to be said. When you apologize, when you take responsibility, you have to commit to change so that's my advice moving forward take responsibility accept the outcome and remember that forgiveness does not equal reconciliation
1: that's a great lesson very important because forgiveness is something that is a gift you give yourself really it's not so much about the other person it just allows you to move forward and that doesn't mean you have to let that person back in your life
0: there are people who've hurt me who I have forgiven who I just don't ever want to see again and that's okay I wish them no ill will I want them to have a wonderful life I just don't want them near you yeah like i just don't want i just don't trust that the relationship would be better or different i don't think that they've changed Mm. and
1: that's okay very healthy and mature
0: it's good this is what lots of therapy will get you an ability to set boundaries (laughs) for sure
1: it's very important
0: um so who would you like to spotlight this
1: week Uh, Well, it should come as no surprise that I'm going to spotlight Baz this week. I just think he is Mm -hmm. going through it, man. And he is doing such a good job. Like this, Wrestling with this what you are responsible for, being willing to take responsibility for when you've made a mistake or you've really hurt someone is a difficult thing. Most people would deflect. Most people would hide behind the fact that, oh, well, I didn't know what I was doing. Someone else was giving me the orders. But he's just not Mm -hmm. even entertaining that. He is being incredibly brave and mature. And I just... He's going through it. And I wanted to give him a spotlight.
0: Baz is also my character to spotlight this (laughs) week for everything you said. But also because he's having to go through his first experience, like really his first sexual experience with Simon. And it's really beautiful because they come to some wonderful understandings. And there's a point where Simon says, look, this is good. It's good that I have a little mission to go on. And it's good that you're driving this bus. Like, Mm. this is great. Don't make it bad. Don't make it weird. And He's like, was I making it bad? Was I? i don't know what i'm doing i just want to give him a big hug and be like look however you do it as long as everyone's happy it's fine like the world is so full of people we cannot all be the same and it is definitely not all like what you see on tv so you're doing great
1: And i love that he's got the safe space with simon really like simon really is there for him he's gonna you know there's nothing that bads can do that's gonna make simon freak out so i just love that for them like this is a great partner for him to have as his first partner so yeah
0: yeah I mean even in the beginning when they're talking about beds and he's like I would sleep on a bed of straw to be close to him I would sleep in the back of a truck and I'm like you have you would I love that mm, but you you should have a bed a bed is good
1: <laughs> well then did you have any homework for our readers or our listeners rather
0: I do I do so I'm I'm sure not by now you know how much I love the band the wild beasts mm-hmm. well they like amicably split a few years ago much to my eternal sadness Um, And the lead singer has been doing, well, one of the singers has been doing his own thing for a while, but I always wondered what happened to the bassist who has a great voice. And it turns out he has a project of his own. It's called One True Pairing, which is even Mm. better because it's a fandom reference. And it sounds really great. I've been really enjoying his album. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes and everybody can go check it out. His name's Tom Fleming. He's an absolute beast on bass and he's got a great voice. So highly recommend. How about you? Do you have any homework?
1: I have been reading a lot of biographies slash mm. accounts about Joe Strummer and about The Clash, who I love, and it's sort of wildly tangential to my um, my novel that I'm writing, so I was just like, if you like The Clash, I can put in a autobiography. Well, no, it's like a, a From the Road account from their former tour manager who talks yeah. about like the two years he spent on the road with them, which is quite interesting, and has gr- lots of great photos in it, so... Yeah, I'll pop That'd that. That'd be in. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's about it. That's all I've been doing anyway. So next week we'll be reading chapter sixty-five to seventy-three through the theme of duty. Woohoo. Mmm.
0: Always gonna think of the jokes about Hero's duty from
1: Wreck-it Ralph. <laughs> oh, Wreck-it Ralph because is so classic. good. Classic. I love mean, when. What's one of the best? When he's like, "Thanks, Satan." <laughs> Always cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just love their bad guys anonymous meeting. I feel like I want to have one of those sometimes.
1: Yeah. So
0: bad guys anonymous
1: meeting. Yeah, totally. Is that what we do? No, we're not bad guys. But anyway, <laughs> that's fine.
0: Can't wait to uh, talk not about yet, it. We're not <laughs> I know it's going to be great. Well, thank you so much for parting with me today.
1: Thank you as always, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week.
0: All right. See you soon.
1: See ya. Thank you for joining us today. Marginaliapod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website, www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you.